You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 154, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Skeleton PJs. This episode was brought to you by the patrons. That's right. To find out more about how you can get your favorite movie nominated, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. My name is Chelsea Robson. I am one of your amazing co-hosts. The other amazing co-host just happens to be right next to me. How convenient. Morgan Stradling. Hello, hello. Yes, I am here in the flesh. That doesn't often happen, actually. (laughs) No, no. I mean, and I like that we are able to record together. That's something that previously we hadn't been able to do, but schedules have worked out. And so we are here. It's been nice. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what the show is about, if this is your very first time listening to the Animation Addicts podcast, you were probably like on on iTunes or something. And you're like, ooh, that looks like a really cool logo. If you type in animation into the podcast search, we are the number two behind the animation podcast which is the holy grail which has not updated behind, behind who, clay Cadis? yes Dang. who knows no, how many uh, years <laughs> he's been number one he still is number one in our hearts and we are number two to that so we're basically number one we're basically right yeah one. we're basically number one <laughs> the most current and yes <laughs> everyone say yay <laughs> well here's the thing is like that we look at that type of podcast as being like yeah, that one's pretty awesome because they're actually in the in the industry. They're it. not just fans that are fangirling from the sidelines. Right. And that's yeah. basically what we are. We are fangirls. Every episode we dissect one ep- one of the movies, you know, depending on when it what came out. Um, and we just decide what we like. We say what we didn't like and then just kind of like go from there. Like that's just consider us your two best friends who also like animation like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So this episode is actually a patron pick. This has been one of the most highly requested movies ever since the beginning of time, 2012. Believe, can you believe it? That's when that is time the began. Of time. When the podcast began, people have been asking for us to do The Hunchback of Notre Dame because it is definitely has a very special place in Disney history. It has its fans. It has its critics. There's lots to talk about. And this is a patron pick brought to us by Alex Pilgrim. He is actually a $20 patron, but one of the $10 patron levels is that you get to pick a film and any film with a few caveats, and we will review it on the show. And this was one of the ones that he selected as his number one pick. And he actually, since he is a $20 patron, he gets to join us for a nerdy couch discussion of his choice on a future episode. Yay! One of the ways to support the show is to go to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon or rotoscopers.com slash patron. Basically, it's where you're able to look and see how you're able to help support and also get extra bonuses along the way. This week, we had two new patrons. We've got Brayden Rosman and Chris Hendricks. Yay! So thank you for joining us. We are glad to have you. All 
right, so before we jump into our main event, which is the Hunchback of Notre Dame, we are going to be doing a nerdy couch discussion, which is a book review by Chelsea. She recently listened to the book the Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is the source material, kind of, for this film. I mean, kind of. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> they took, they Disney-fied it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I always wanted to, to listen to this or to read this book. It is one of the classics of literature. But I just never really had the gumption to grab, like, a 1,500-page novel. <laughs> like, it was just like, uh, that's hard for me to to really jump into that but because of audible i was able to go to rotoscopers.com slash audible and get a free download and one of the downloads that you're able to do is this book which is really great because it's like 40 hours yeah you're getting your free credits worth yeah you you're really are <laughs> and so it's it was about 40 hours long and i listened to this on lots of car rides and things like that but it was just really cool. The historical significance of this book is pretty awesome. Um, basically, it was just so popular in France because it spurred on the historical preservation movement. So in the country about that time in the 1800s, they were nothing really was saved. Nothing was really um, respected for historical value. And because of this the whole novel was able to focus on Notre Dame, the cathedral, as not only a, a, a location or a building, but as an actual essence of society. And it's almost its own character in the whole, in the whole novel. And so it, it just sprung, and it, just, it really just took on a whole other effect, more than just being a, a good book that mm -hmm. people liked. It was like, let's save the culture! So <laughs> I thought that was a really cool thing. Um, one thing that I, at the very beginning of the book, it talks about how all Paris is burning in order to cover up this story. And it's like, Ooh, great way to like, yeah. Open it up. Like, Ooh, what is the story that we're trying to cover up? Pop you in, <laughs> in media res, which is throwing you into the action right away. I like it. I really did like it. You really get a feel for the whole culture. It was the very first book of fiction to encompass all of life. So from the king of France to Paris, all the way to the Paris sewers and rats, everything about life at that time, um, as opposed to just focusing on one specific group of people. Now, in my opinion, there are a few too many characters because you spent the first like two chapters like wondering well, who am I supposed to be really paying attention to and That's remembering Hugo for you <laughs> <laughs> so I was like eh, okay thanks but okay um but the cathedral is kind of a, a silent witness to the whole to the whole protagonist story and all of history so I really liked that so as far as going into like kind of differences from the book to the movie is first off Quasimodo in the movie, he's, like, super happy and, like, optimistic. Mm -hmm. And in the book, he's really not. <laughs> <laughs> he is a deaf mute, and he communicates only through sign language. But even then, it's, like, not a lot of sign language. People didn't really have sign language at the time. And he basically exiles himself to the bell tower of Notre Dame and because that's, like, his only true love, the bells. You know, those are my friends. Mm -hmm. And he's got names for each one of them, which is, you know, goes into for like, they bring that up in the, in the movie as well. But Hugo's Quasimodo is super dark. He's more brooding and he's, he generally dislikes people, which is 
probably a better characterization for someone who's been trapped in this place and living there and isolated from society yeah I have a f- and then more realistic yes especially in the disney version when you were raised by this guy who's completely corrupt and is seeding your mind with these false just like mother gothel entangled seeding your mind with yeah. these false notions about society and different groups of people and the world out there it's, it's very unlikely that you likewise would have such a rosy picture on life so Victor, he he got it. Well, and also, I mean, he's a deaf mute. When when you can't communicate at all with people, like it's really hard to have empathy for them. Mm-hmm. And so you can you can just really see, or for them to have empathy for you, yeah. like you just don't you don't mesh really well. Um, so in the book, also, so looking at Claude Frollo, he's very different too. In the movie, he's very it's like bad guy. bad guy bad guy bad guy (laughs) but in the book he's actually a lot deeper of a character Mm -hmm. like he starts out really wanting to be the best really wanting to be more of a a caretaker he care he cares for his brother as his brother grows up and Mm -hmm. but then his brother decides meh i don't i'm i'm gonna go and gamble and drink and do all these types of things like gamble my life away basically and so um, Quasimodo was abandoned on the steps of Notre Dame and Claude Frollo was like well here is my chance to kind of raise someone else right because he's the archdeacon which is a right. huge difference is that he's not a member of basically the political order as a judge he's yeah. a part of the church right he's trying to be good he's mm-hmm. trying to do all these good things and um it wasn't until later on when he just basically he looks at Quasimodo as failure because he wasn't able to raise up his brother right. He wasn't mm-hmm. able to raise Quasi right. So you've got two things that are just I how can you be a good archdeacon maybe mm-hmm. uh, thinking that if you can't even take care of the people closest to you um, and raise them correctly. And so he kind of like has this. The moment Esmeralda comes around, who is only like 16 in the book, she's just this like a good girl who is just trying to, she's kind of naive and childish um, and just, but she's undeniably beautiful, but she's also like, she wears this magical pendant that symbolizes her virginity and also the fact that she's, she's looking for her long lost mother. So she honestly has a lot more of more pure motives Mm -hmm. through the whole thing. She's just young and naive is the only problem that she has rather than headstrong and sassy. Right. Which is definitely the, the movie, the Disney counterpart, which is very indicative of the nineties. Yes. Yes. Very much. So, um, but when Esmeralda comes around, that's when Claude Frollo, like, he's he's the priest, so he shouldn't be lusting after a woman, but he's lusting after her, and then she doesn't, she turns him down, so now one more failure mm-hmm. on him, so it just, like, spiral down. <laughs> he kind of goes through a crazy moment, um, which is also shown in the movie, though. Mm-hmm. So in the book, Phoebus... Like in the movie, or he's like Mister Awesome, Mister Achilles. Sit. Yeah. <laughs> he's just a good guy that you want to like. You want to like. He's the hero. You know, the quintessential hero, Disney hero. Yeah, pulled from the front lines of war, basically as right. a captain to come and clean up the scourge in the movie. Right. Who Frodo? Who Frollo thinks is the scourge? Right. But he's himself. He's already engaged to somebody, but then like takes a liking to Esmeralda as well, saves her from something. So she now has this like love for him, thinks that he's got 
good things mm-hmm. for her in mind but then she saves his life and but he's really like uh i probably bit off a little a little bigger than i could chew by hanging around you and so i'm just gonna like pretend to be dead and go back to the girl i'm gonna marry <laughs> <laughs> while you are you know sentenced to death for killing me yes good guy mm-hmm. good guy yeah <laughs> And strapping young man right there yes and that's basically him like he's he's just like she is in fact hung and phoebus witnesses it from a window and she like sees him she's like oh, phoebus phoebus and he's like eh, walk away not today and so it's just it's super sad like man super dark and then um when quasi he is trying to save Esmeralda, but only realizing that she's already been hung when he sees Frollo looking down at her on the gallows and he just gets so upset that he ends up throwing Frollo from the ledge, mm-hmm. which hints at that in the movie, but in the end it's not it's quasi. not on him. Yeah. It's he just falls. Yeah. The thing broke. Yeah. He, off he tumbles away. <laughs> you know, we'll talk about the tone of this film. Wouldn't have been surprised to have seen that. Um, but one thing that I, I thought was really just kind of interesting is that years later, a grave digger finds the bones of Esmeralda in a cave and it has Quasi's bones wrapped around his. And when he tries to move the bones, they crumble together in a final poignant moment. So that's the story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I am looking at this and I'm thinking, who in the world thought this would be a great children's film? Well, actually, <laughs> it's, it's funny you mention that because the idea of, hey, let's turn this into a Disney film came from a development executive named David Stainton back in 1993. And there was a popular set of comic books called Classics Illustrated at the time. And he was reading the comic book, <laughs> not the original source material. Right. And then straight off the comic book said, hey, this is going to be great. Let's do it. So there okay. we go. Yeah, so... <laughs> So what happened was Gary Truesdell and Kirk Wise, they were the directors of Beauty and the Beast. You know, after Beauty and the Beast was such a success that it was, it was amazing. It was nominated for an Oscar, Best Picture. I mean, it was one of the highlights of the Disney Renaissance and the beginning of Disney Renaissance. So they they took a break from directing Gary Truesdell. He was kind of working in the story department for Lion King. So then they had this other story that they were looking to develop called The Song of the Sea, which hmm, sounds familiar, but it was a little bit different. But Jeffrey then came in and basically ripped them away from that project and said, no, I have something better for you. It's going to be big. (laughs) (laughs) And they really were sold. And then they ultimately went and started to create this film. So before we dive into any more of the film, let's take a peek at the trailer. This one is very reminiscent to me because it was definitely played over and over and over again on those VHS previews. Nice. Let's do it. Coming to theaters, summer 1996. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 34th full-length animated motion picture, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Pour the wine and cut the cheese. The magnificent Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris was the site where Disney animators drew their inspiration for the powerful story of Quasimodo. (gasps) A man who lived in a world of isolation. Remember Quasimodo, 
This is your sanctuary. But had the courage to dream of freedom. And out there, living in the sun. What's going on out there? A fight? A flogging? A festival? Once a year, we throw a party here in town. Well, you're not hurt, are you? No! See? No harm done. By the way, great mask. Look! He's got a friend with him. Way to go, lover boy! An all-star cast brings the characters to life. All right, all right! Including Demi Moore as the mysterious Esmeralda. You. And Kevin Klein as the heroic Phoebus. Easy, easy. I, I, I just shaved this morning. Oh, really? You missed a spot. Mary Wicks, Charles Kimbrough, and Jason Alexander are the three wisecracking gargoyles. It is a treat to watch the colorful pageantry of the simple peasant folk. Oh, look. A mime. <sighs> and Tom Hulse is Quasimodo. If I picked a day to fly, oh, this would be it. Leave this place. Arrest her. Oh! Dang it. What a woman. How dare you defy me? I think the cavalry's here. This coming summer, experience the adventure. Sit. Whoa! Of Walt Disney Pictures' newest animated entertainment event, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, so a little backstory. Obviously, the studio is Walt Disney Feature Animation. This was before the Walt Disney Animation Studios was officially formed. I mean, it's had different names over the years, but Disney. Disney. Directors, as we said, Gary Truesdell, Kirk Wise. It was released June 19th, 1996. It was supposed to come out a little bit earlier than that, a few years earlier, but it was ultimately pushed. The reason being Jeffrey Katzenberg leaving Disney kind of threw a wrench in some things, and so they kind of held off. It was released after Pocahontas. Uh, budget $100 million. Domestically, it made $100.14 million, so barely just in the U.S. was able to recapture its budget. And worldwide total, it made $325.3 million, making it the fifth highest grossing film worldwide. Not too shabby. Nah, of the year, that's great. I did want to like look in, though, as far as like different movies of the time period mm-hmm. so you're just oh, looking yes, at this is always a fun time I like, capsule i like the time capsule moment <laughs> speaking of time capsule <laughs> space jam space jam. which up until recently if you would go to the space jam website it was a time capsule of 1996 really? it had not been updated it was so old <laughs> it was just you would go to it and you'd have these like just remember the first times on the internet and yeah. exploring around it was that wow uh, you go to archive.org which and then you know go back in time for Space Jam website and you will be able to see what it looks like. I think Warner Brothers picked up on it and updated it. Okay, oh. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> people are talking. They should about have this. left it. They should have left it as just kind of a tribute to a former era. But yes, yeah, Space Jam was number two. That was by obviously Warner Brothers Animation. Two hundred thirty million dollars. So hundred million less than Hunchback. So Hunchback was very very successful. It was yeah. And then Beavis and Butthead do America. Obviously, of course, MTV Productions, mm-hmm. they are putting out great quality there. And then number four, highest grossing animated film of the year, James and the Giant Peach. So those are, I kind of, I totally remember those. And that yeah, year. I like, remember this year. <laughs> it's like, that is a snapshot of my childhood, like really well. Like, okay. Yeah. This is going on. This was the time of the Disney Renaissance where it was still on the up and up. It Everything Disney was touching basically turned to gold. 
and they did Lion King, they did Aladdin, they did Beauty and the Beast. Pocahontas was not as, you know, successful as perhaps Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and some of those previous ones, but it was still, still did crazy amount. Yeah. Uh, and, and Hunchback and Notre Dame was good. I think, I feel this is more of the plateau of the Disney Renaissance because it yeah. was up, up, up. And then starting with Pocahontas it and this, it kind well. of was like holding on to the former glory where everyone was still kind of seeing these movies right. as a result. Um, talking about the premiere, this actually premiered at the New Orleans Superdome where they had six giant screens all around. Oh, wow. And it, again, Disney was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger because with Pocahontas, it debuted in Central Park as like right. a big screening. So they just kept wanting to outdo themselves. And I think perhaps after this one, I have to research to see, but it was like, okay, let's just take it back a bit. <laughs> let's hang it back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was the Disney Renaissance. As a time capsule, this is one of those movies that just really takes me back. And, but honestly, when I first saw it, my first remembrances of this film was it's good because it's Disney and it's good. Like the songs were good and everything, but I just didn't really like gravitate to it. Mm -hmm. Like it was just super dark and it was just like, I don't know how I like this one. Like I, I just was always left with these like, what, what am I supposed Burning to questions, <laughs> burning desires. Burning. <laughs> Hellfire. <laughs> like I just, yeah, I, I didn't know what to do with it in my mind as a child and then it wasn't until high school that I watched it again with kind of new eyes more mature eyes that I was just uh. like whoa this is a cool film mm -hmm. yeah I definitely did see this one in theater this was the heyday of my Disney I must see every movie right you know as soon as it comes out in my case we always saw them the day after they came out because my dad would take us to the movies on Saturday and we would check it out and this one has a special place in my heart because I remember having the cassette tape of this mm -hmm. and listening and listening and listening to that cassette tape over and over and over again. I absolutely loved it. And uh, this was one that my family and my brothers and I watched quite a bit growing up. And we have kind of this running joke in my family with, with the Quasimodo and Frollo duet. They, my brothers will always sing this where one will go, you are deformed, I am deformed, and you are ugly, and I am ugly. I, my goal is to get it on camera because they can do the whole thing straight through. And we'll, they'll just randomly sing it at times. And it is so good. It is my favorite. So this movie, that alone oh puts gosh. it in a very special yes. place in my heart. Yes. Oh, please. Get Stephen and Marshall to do that, yes, please. Yes, they're great. <laughs> that would be an awesome Instagram feed. Yes. Like, I've tried, it. but they're like too cool for school now, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. One day, I'll get it, guys, and I'll share it for you guys. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so should we talk about the characters, just high level, and yeah. how they're different, and, and just themes, and who they are? So we have Quasimodo. Now, Quasimodo is the hunchback of Notre Dame. And they say, oh, his name is Quasimodo. It means half-formed. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. The reason in the novel he was given the name Quasimodo is because he was born on the first Sunday after Easter, which is known as Quasimodo. Mm. So there you go. But what I love about Quasimodo is that he is just a really pure character. We kind of mentioned before that he's has this caretaker who brings him up, who is just 
very vile and evil. And we see that in the very opening scene, which we'll talk about. But he does not have pure motives and he does not have the best intentions for Quasimodo. Much like Mother Gothel, this was actually a film that we re-reviewed on our Roto rewatch, which is a patron perk. Once a month, we'll go back and we'll re-review a film. So we reviewed Tangled. And this is what we were also talking about with Mother Gothel is that her motives are entirely based on her and Mm -hmm. elevating herself. Now with Judge Claude Frollo, it's not necessarily to elevate Frollo above him. It's just to kind of put him in his place and keep him there, Mm -hmm. you know, and then Frollo goes off and does his thing right and now we are just talking specifically the movie here so i don't want people to think that it's like we're kind of comparing the two books because we already did that in the yeah in the prior but just looking at the movie um you look at claude frollo and i'm one thing i'm really glad that they made him the they made him the judge as opposed to the archdeacon because it's like especially nowadays it's like uh, let's I disagree. Oh, really? So the problem with I with this movie, I like it. However, there are lots of things that keep it from being an absolutely fantastic Beauty and the Beast level okay. film to me. And it's because they didn't want to go there yeah. with that. I felt that his... his Okay, so talking of Judge Frollo, he is this judge, right? Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning of the film he commits murder mm-hmm. you know he has this vendetta and you know we see a little bit about his personality he has this thing against the gypsies and he just wants to annihilate them and that really doesn't change throughout the whole film i do think that it, it keeps elevating and get yeah. you know higher and higher but so he's chasing these gypsies he kills one of them he thinks she's hiding something because she stole something because that's what gypsies do according to him right you know they're just thieves and all these things and so then he kills a woman in the presence of the archdeacon mm-hmm. who which basically is the the chosen person on earth to help help him repent and, right. and free him of his sins and you know use jesus to help him do that and the archdeacon is just like that's bad here you need to take the the baby do not kill the baby you know and so he's he's wanting to kill a, a double right. murder basically he wants to kill another person and he says to redeem yourself from this you have to raise the baby mm-hmm you know, that's that's your duty. Right. And we do see that Judge Frollo has this this moral center to him where he really does. I think deep down at some point, he, he perhaps had pure motives where mm-hmm. he is concerned about his soul. However, it gets very much clouded by his hate for the gypsies that he twists things into thinking that the things that he's doing on behalf of the gypsies to cleanse and purify Paris is validation mm-hmm. and therefore cleanse and purifies him some of the sins that he's committed and so when he realizes oops i've been caught then he goes and kind of backtracks and thinks crap i need to you know okay i need to do this right because he has seen me this is the one guy who should not have seen me do this right and 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 then like you're mentioning we have notre dame and we see the eyes of notre dame they're all watching as well and those are you know past you know priests and prophets and apostles and and saints and all these things and so he's sitting here and all the eyes are looking at him and he realizes he can never get away from this. But the one way that he can do that is I guess I'll raise this child, which is a monster. Right. Then he just throws the baby to the archdeacon and says, well, you raise him. I can't be seen with him. 
I don't want to have anything to do with him. Like, okay, we'll keep him alive, but you raise him, stick him in the bell tower somewhere. And there's no ownership of Mm -hmm. that action. But if it were the archdeacon, imagine how much more it would have meant with, okay, you are this person who's supposed to be, you know, you are representing the gospel and you are delivering the sacraments to the people and helping them on their spiritual journey and helping them repent and, and become pure. But then you have this great sin upon you. And so to me, it would have meant so much more for Judge Frollo to have that aspect of his personality. And then it really would have made more sense about why Quasimodo's living in the bell tower. Yeah. The original book, uh, he just kind of found his way, you know, like a monkey just climbed his way into the top <laughs> of the bell tower. Um, so yeah, that, and I know why they didn't. They, the problem with this film, which I love this film, don't get me wrong, but I really want to talk critically about it because there's so many things, like just little teeny tweaks that they could yeah. have done which have made it better, is that it was like, everyone talks about, oh, this film is so dark and, and serious and it's adult. And okay, it got a G rating. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not quite sure how. It definitely should have been at least PG, but it got a G rating. And so it is dark comparatively to other films, but I think it just could have been so much more if there was these little tweaks. And one, they didn't want to offend the Catholic Church by doing that. However, I think they would have had artistic liberty to do so because it was based on this Um, novel. And I'm hoping that the Catholic Church had come to terms with with that, (laughs) with the novel and that artistic representation. And I do think there is important part, sorry, this is becoming the Morgan show. Chelsea, you can talk in a little bit. No, I'm interested in hearing what you're saying. But yeah, I do think that there would have been so much more to learn from seeing, okay, this is someone who is part of the clergy who has done wrong and seeing their character growth and rise or fall and to go from there. I mean, yeah. it's still, he, I, I do love Frollo and I think it's fine. I just, I kind of salivate over what could have been yeah. with him being the archdeacon. Well, and I also see that as, I mean, definitely I think one of the main reasons why they didn't want to go there was because of the sexual aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Of like, he's, you know, lusting after this woman and he's a priest. And with the times, it just, like, they're having lots of these... Was that in the 90s? That was in the 90s, yeah. There had been quite a few scandals during the time and they didn't, I'm sure Disney didn't want to like compound that Mm -hmm. (laughs) which in and of itself is like okay you know it's nice of you we don't want to throw fuel on the fire i understand that right but But, i mean if you're looking at the specific story i i also look at it like you know men are men and (laughs) you're gonna get a lot of hate for that (laughs) (laughs) mankind to be human is to be human and to have errors and to not to say that not to justify any of these errors, but it's also, I mean, I'm able to look at somebody else's, I mean, there's two ways of learning a lesson. You know, one is if your parent says, don't put your hand on the fire and you put your hand on the fire, you get burned. Well, I like the fact that I see other people get burned. Therefore I don't want to do it, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it can be used as made an example of different things. And I think that that's what they could have done Mm -hmm. with this, like the route they could have taken by keeping him as the archbishop. Mm -hmm. They could have just said, you know, Hey, this is, you know, a human error that we need to guard ourselves against. We need to make sure that we're not this, that we don't have these same weaknesses in our Mm -hmm. own armor, I guess you could say. 
Well, like you said, you know, one of the things that really drives him and almost drives him to this madness is this lust for Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. And like you said, to, to be man or woman is, is to be human. And, and that is really kind of one of the basic urges and desires for people is expressing themselves sexually. And, and with him, he has this lust for her and he can't have her really because she's a gypsy. But yet he tries to justify it later by saying, well, like, be with me and it'll all be okay." And I think he's has these two sides of him that's like she's evil, but I want her. And it just creates this fire within him that cannot be quenched because he's trying to stop it and stop it and stop it. And he can't. Right. And, you know, I, I do think that if he were the archdeacon, it would have, like I said, painted this is archdeacon, archbishop. The arch something, everybody. Just don't send us emails against Matt. But he would have, if he were, it would have helped, you know, also religious leaders are not perfect and they are mortals as well. Yeah. Yes, they've overcome certain things and they've, you know, been anointed to represent and to perform these these ordinances or these rites and rituals, you know, but whatever. That's on you're, them. Whatever. Not yes, on exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is on them. And, you know, when we do see someone where they, they cut, you know, are so high or whatnot and they fall we should not you know turn away from our faith or our religion or whatever it is as the as the results of that one person because we know that they are just as mortal as us and i fall as well so anyways that is our little devotional for today (laughs) i'm sorry but the the topic of this you know the church and the cathedral is so prevalent yeah i feel like i have to talk about it and kind of give my insight on what i learned from the film Right, and by not talking about it, it would be a lesser podcast. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Not a number two podcast, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> so let's talk about Esmeralda, because she is part of this group of the gypsies. And I, before we talk about her, let's talk about the gypsies. Okay. So the gypsies are actually a, a group of people, the Romani people. Mm-hmm. And they are common in different parts of Europe, southern Europe, parts of France, uh, there's different er- Bulgaria, different areas, you know, parts of France, Bulgaria, Slovakia very common and they basically are nomads so they do not have a place where they necessarily call home and they are associated with poverty Mm -hmm. and as a result they kind of can be seen by people as a scourge or as you know what comes with poverty usually comes other things which is you know trying to make ends meet so stealing robbing and whatnot and i'm not here saying that all gypsies are that way but definitely the perception in this film is especially from frollo is that the gypsies are bad because they are the scourge on society you know you see them you know you know esmeralda's dancing in the streets just trying to make a few bucks um you know then she pretends to be this little peddler guy getting you know a few pennies here and there and you know they really are this this poverty this people that is misunderstood and definitely the government does them no favors by how they are representing especially this judge right well it also can be seen in times of today it's like anybody who is a refugee a refugee migrant person Mm -hmm. you know so by not having a place quote-unquote to call home uh, or coming from just outside Mm -hmm. it's kind Mm -hmm. of like looking down upon them yeah so the french people are known outside of france for having a sense of of (laughs) (laughs) self-confidence and um for them to just kind of really look down on anybody who's not french Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of it that is creeping in and which i mean also can be brought into like the american ideals like some sometimes other countries think that americans only think americans are the hot stuff right 
Which that I we, am. Come we, on. I'm, I'm, I'm the best. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> I mean, that's just... I'm playing into the stereotype. Yeah, but I know, I know. Everyone thinks they're the... Uh, well, I mean, in every, South America, everybody hates the Argentines. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like every, there's certain places that always have a stigma. And so in this case, they're they're looking at the, the difference of, you know, acceptance and mm-hmm. who is my neighbor type thing. Yeah. Like, like who, who am I able to like and associate with? Yeah. And so we see Esmeralda and it, you know, when you describe Esmeralda, what words would you use to describe her? In the movie? Yes. The girl can't help it. The girl can't help. She's like, she's like really good looking. Mm-hmm. Just like the perfect bod, the perfect hair. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Hair envy. Yeah. Can I say that? It's got the whole Demi Moore grovelly voice. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> like she is very sexy, very sexy. Yes. So that's one thing that they did with her characters. And I think a lot of people associate Esmeralda as being this sex pot, uh-huh. you know, because, oh, sheer her sleeves are down her shoulders you know but i think she it is kind of justified in how she's being perceived because she again she's a gypsy she doesn't have much so she needs to make it work and so she's out there she uses what she has she uses what she has she's dancing and i'm not saying there's anything bad about it but you know and then for the feast of fools she goes out there and really performs and she basically does a strip tease by removing part of her clothes, throwing it. I mean, not very much, but it is right. a scarf. Throwing it to Judge Claude Frollo and then doing a pole dance on a spear. <laughs> not a literal pole dance, but there is a pole spear thing and she kind of twists around it. And that is somewhat scandalous. But here's the thing. That's what she does because that's what she has to do. And Frollo looks at her and that's all he sees initially. Yeah. He doesn't see her heart. He doesn't see who she is. And as she later, you know, she escapes and able is able to get sanctuary within the cathedral she opens up her heart in this song which to me i got a little choked up listening to it you know god help the outcasts very pertinent to this day with like you were saying refugee situation and everything that's happening with people in other countries and it's always been you know there's always refugees there's always gypsies there's always people who are downtrodden and outcasts really are the, the the whole yeah you know you could be an outcast in your own society in your own home whatever and what I love is just everything that that song represents. We do finally get to see a little more. I mean, we do see her kindness as she's helping Quasimodo mm-hmm. initially, like great mask. And she's just helping him being nice. And that's because she has no idea that that's not a mask. And then once she actually realizes what happens, she, uh, she stands up and calls Frollo out and, you know, starts actually being a little revolutionary for her people. Right. But then when she goes and she sings this song, uh, the imagery in this song is beautiful where, you know, she's singing all about others. I ask for nothing. Mm-hmm. I can get by, but I ask for those less lucky than I. And then you hear everyone else and it's me. I ask for wealth. I ask mm-hmm. for fame. I ask for glory to come on my name. And it's me, 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 me. And she's, go- she's going in the opposite direction of the, you know, the French people who are in, in inside. They want everything for them. Elevate me, 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 me. And she is just, I'm fine. Help my people. Mm-hmm. Help others. Help the outcasts. And I love that song. I do, It's too. so good. And, you know, people say, oh, she's not that really strong of a character. I mean, I don't understand that because I think she's very strong. And her intentions are very pure. She really does want to defend her people and stand up for them. And I think we see that in that song. 
Oh, for sure. That was, in fact, that's one of the songs that I'm going to be putting on my, one of my albums, but I'm going to be doing it in like kind of an operatic range Mm -hmm. and in Portuguese. So it's like double three three of my favorite things all rolled into one. (laughs) I'm so excited about it. But honestly, she's one of the only characters that you really come to admire. Mm -hmm. Everyone else are kind of blasé, if not flawed. Mm-hmm. like Phoebus right. let's talk about Phoebus because he's this hero and he's supposed to be you know this strapping guy and he is he, but he really doesn't do much I mean he, he waves a sword every once in a while and he doesn't you know burn down the house good job yeah and <laughs> you know, that is that is very noble of him but I think flaws that we just don't see much of him and so when Esmeralda really falls for him it's like why he's a hunk it, yes <laughs> again he is <laughs> I and mean, they do they do have that chemistry where they're fighting and this is a very funny scene where it's yeah, the sanctuary yeah, yeah. and she's fighting with this giant candlestick and I'm not quite sure what her plan was. I mean was she truly Anything, yeah. just okay here is a soldier I need to defend myself. Okay and she does quite a good job. Yeah. That's hand a little bit common. below the belt. <laughs> no, this is. <laughs> And it's great. And then I guess that's what she sees in him is because they're able to have this, you know, very, this chemistry and this banter back and forth. She's still at that point in time, very wary of him because she has no idea that his intentions are pure, but that's just kind of the beginning of their relationship, which is very quickly escalated and moved on. And quasi obviously, because, you know, one of the things that he says to his master later is, you know, talking about her, he says she was kind to me. Yeah. And that's really all it is for Quasimodo is that he's lived in isolation his whole life so much where he basically is talking to these characters and the gargoyles and they've come to life for him. (laughs) Yeah. They're his friends because he has no one else. And so when someone is, especially in that moment, we can talk about the, feast of fools but they are so mean to him Mm -hmm. and cruel and it's just this mob mentality which shifts very very quickly yeah but um she's the one who's kind and that's really all it takes for him to develop this crush on her Mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's not reciprocated because she was just being nice and i well she's got every guy going for her Mm -hmm. but she can play the just friends card like nobody's business (laughs) (laughs) she should have a stack of those just hidden you know because she pulls out that map of the here is you know the whole city in your hand and i'm sitting here like where did that come from right and why do you need that you have i hope you know where you live right and don't forget so are these just like kind of pass along cards that you have to you know to try to recruit people to your cause like here you go you can find uh, yeah, the yeah. way uh, very convenient little plot device right there yeah but that one was the saddest part i think because the whole gargoyles it's really him which i'm gonna get into the fact well, that it's like they're, is it is i it know not? i know i know i know <laughs> but it's it's supposed to be just in his mind, mm-hmm. you know, his friends are, he's just talking to himself, but he's talking to these gargoyles that, you know, they kind of build him up because like in, we build ourselves up. We, we sometimes get lost in an alternate reality of our own minds. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what he's doing now going back to the, are they actually not real? That's They're able to do quite a bit of damage for being not real right. in the battle. <laughs> Dropping things on people's heads. Why am I pretty? Why? <laughs> right. So it's like, there's a lot of little things like, I don't know if that's actually, yeah, I don't know. Who you know, are you? So let's talk about the gargoyles. So we have Victor, Hugo, and Laverne. And 
I do not like them and I've never liked them. And this is another issue that I have with the film is that it's, I'm sitting here thinking, why, why did you have to put them in there? Sidekicks. This was the era of the sidekick. I understand. And Esmeralda has a sidekick with Jolly, the goat. That's actually in the book though. Okay. Well, so then that is, that. I would get, I would get, why, we just needed them. Just Jolly then. If we would have had Jolly, that would have been great. But then we have these characters and they really are not good for him because they, and if this is a figment of his imagination, they're telling him what he wants to hear. Right. You know, oh, hey, it's a great day. You should go out there. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, finally, I'm going to do it. And hey, a guy like you, yeah. she's never known, kid. And she. No, you don't stand a chance. No. Unfortunately, especially since I only say that because he barely met her. Yeah. Uh, You got a a little bit more time with her before maybe we could consider dating prospects. (laughs) But they're just so quirky and out of place. And it really shifts the tone of this film because I was watching it and I'm sitting here and I'm really getting into it. And it's just very serious. and, And, you know, the stakes are high. We have this scene where. Frollo is kind of beginning his rampage. He's searching for the gypsies, you know, 10 coins, 10, 20 pieces of silver, 10 pieces of silver for the gypsy Esmeralda. And no one's paying him. And then eventually he starts burning places and burning people inside their homes. And so we leave with that and go straight to a guy like you. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't care about his little crush on Esmeralda. And it, and it's a the worst of all the songs like it's catchy i'll admit yeah uh, alan Menken, steven schwartz steven schwartz went on to do wicked you know he's definitely made quite a pretty penny for himself with that but a, a great team and the music i will talk about the musical later fantastic music yes. and just really helps to set this film um, in the earlier parts of it and but this song, it's so out there and it's just kind of like, you know, the genie where they're pulling things from modern references where they have the heart that's made of flowers mm-hmm. and, you know, poker cards everywhere. And why? Like, why do we need this? If this truly is the figment of his imagination, there's no way that he would be able to imagine these things. So there must not be a figment of his imagination. Uh, again, like we said, they they do actually interact in the world. world. They turn alive for Jolly. They turn alive... You you know, during the battle and it's just bad all around when they start singing that song. And then really it's broken up by Esmeralda coming back and being crushing his dreams. Yeah. And, and <laughs> friends, I don't know if we right needed there. to, Oh, maybe we forgot that he's in love with Esmeralda or starting to like her. So let's re remind the audience. Yeah. I don't know. And that before she comes in and, and then kisses very quickly, they, they progresses, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because Phoebus then, he is saved, basically he's stood up to Frollo, sacrificed himself and saved the people. And that really is what does it for Esmeralda. He's right. like, oh, you did this for my people. You're so heroic and kind and amazing. And I love you and you're hunky. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was really glad. I mean, we'll talk more in depth later about the musical itself. But in the musical, they do take out a guy like me. And oh, good. <laughs> I know. I was like, yes, I'm so glad they replaced it with another song. Um, and as they normally do as yeah, but it, it's, <laughs> it was a better song. It was better written, better, had more ties to different things. Uh, 
But I mean, you have people like Jason Alexander as one of the gargoyles, so you've got to give him some type of a of a catchy hey hey. Oh yeah, <laughs> cut the wine or spill the wine and cut the cheese. <laughs> it was his dream to be in a Disney animated film. He was in the Return of Jafar, but apparently that that didn't quite that did, that cut would, it for him. No, it wouldn't cut it for me either. No, <laughs> I, definitely not. <laughs> but it was. I feel like you have a lot of like David Ogden Steers. You've got all these really cool. Don't forget our Jim Cummings alert. He hey. played a lot of background characters. I did notice him quite a few times. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> like this is almost too distracting. This might become a problem. <laughs> but I mean, you have all these characters in there that I can understand why they put it in there. Like they're one, it's a Disney film. So they're trying to stay within genre and within demographic. Because mm-hmm. um, I like, I just remember one of my favorite parts of the whole movie was fly, my pretties, fly. <laughs> Like it was like kids that, as a whole really do like them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know any kids that said I didn't like those guys. Of course they like them. Right. And th- those are the favorite parts of for kids. But and so I mean the part where he's lusting after the woman in her <laughs> hellfire. You know, in the fireplace and he's rubbing her scarf against his body. <laughs> That's the, not your favorite part as a child. No, no, no. <laughs> and so I just. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I understand. But at the same time, it's like it was hard to know their audience because, as I said, like growing up, it was a good film that I liked. And I I had these moments of I remember the I'm free, I'm free. Dang it. <laughs> but outside of that, I you don't really it doesn't really stick with you. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was later to be able to actually really appreciate mm-hmm. what they did with it was just. Yeah. I mean, I I look at this as far as. The music is really what does it for me. We'll go in a little bit more because we're still talking about characters more. Mm-hmm. But in and of itself, I think the music is a character. Yeah. It really does push the story along really well. well let's talk about music. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> Through this time watching it last night, I was just like, the score for this one, I think, is one of Alan Menken's best scores. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was more of a of an actual Broadway play than any of his other films had ever come close Absolutely. to being. Yeah. And the themes that it... The little reprises uh-huh. and motifs, you know, and just how big some of the songs get, like out there, heaven's eyes, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. know, all these things that just come back and remind you of it. It's like, man, the reprise in here is really on point. And I just, Stephen Schwartz, Alan Menken, the, those two together really just came up with something special. Honestly, like the the bells of Notre Dame, you know, just the grand mm-hmm. choir just comes mm-hmm. in and just envelops you yeah. in the whole essence and then even like the a guy like you a guy <laughs> <kidding>. like you <laughs> but even in um the artistry of the film like how it it really does zoom in and come in and out of almost in the way pinocchio did you know mm-hmm. when with the Multi-plane. Multi-plane camera. Heavily used here. Heavily. And then, I mean, you did notice some effects from computer animation in like the dust and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, um, and you, you know that it is. The background characters are, there's kind of like 20 different variations of these background, Uh you know, Parisian people. They're very rote in how they move. For example, there's that where he's the king of fools. Sorry, going into animation right now. I don't want to talk about music, but, and they're dancing around him in like a double circle. Mm -hmm. And it just feels very like right on cue, fake, like just the pacing, the timing is off and they just feel a little lifeless. Yeah. So I didn't enjoy that 
Yeah. But I mean, just how they circled around Notre Dame, how they just showed that as such a character on mm-hmm. itself, the bells in itself, like just because they had to do that in line with the music that was already written. So he created this whole score, all of the reprises and all of this. And so now they have to animate to that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they did a fantastic job. They really did like the novel show all areas. So yeah. the t- from the top to the bottom of life in that time period, mm-hmm. I felt like that was just gorgeous. Yeah. And the, so the score, I just, honestly, it was one of the most epic scores and you just watch and you're just, you hear the choir, you hear the grandiose, Mm -hmm. just, it's just overflowing with, with, um, characterization and you just, wow, it just Mm -hmm. comes across really well. Yeah. Going back to animation, I think, again, this is Disney at its prime. So they had some of the greatest animators who were involved. And my fa- one of my favorite scenes, which I noticed and stood out this time, is the scene where Quasimodo saves Esmeralda from the stake. And she's passed out. And he goes to the top of the bell tower. He's holding her up above his head, shouting, Sanctuary! Mm-hmm. Sanctuary! And this is one of the best uses of digital animation uh-huh. is because the camera has this sweep yeah. in front of him, around him, and then from behind. And the effect that it's able to create just gives you chills. It's yeah. very, very stunning. And I just thought that was perfect way that you should use this blend of 2d and cgi like don't try like maybe nowadays you could get away doing your background characters with Mm -hmm. that or vehicles perhaps but they they always feel a little off Mm -hmm. but you know using it as okay it's going to be our camera and we're going to animate around it to me is when it really looks the best yeah i mean it does it brings you into like how Beauty and the Beast was so amazing when they, you know, brought into the ballroom yeah, scene. Yeah, I it's think like, whoa, I think Beauty and the Beast recognition where it, is probably it's where it was key in this time period. Yeah, yeah, characters are great. We didn't really talk about their designs, but I love Esmeralda. I love mm-hmm. her bright green eyes. Yeah, it's very stunning. Anytime that she's, you know, walking into a room, and that really she is supposed to be this captivating beauty, right? And she is like, it makes me want to dye my hair black. <laughs> because, wow, hair envy. I have green eyes. Can I be that? <laughs> throw a little scarf in there and I call me Esmeralda. Um, and Quasimodo, I really liked, you know, he's not really not the most hideous character. He's kind of Disneyified, yeah. but he isn't attractive. No. You know, he has one eye that's bigger than the other. He, sh- as the song says, shaped like a croissant. And <laughs> yeah, so they did a good job with that. We have our strapping hero. Frollo is a great villain yeah. and good look to him. Um, all around, really like the character design of these characters. We have Clopin, who we hasn't really talked about. And so I guess this goes with another issue that I have is that I'm not quite sure like what to feel for him because he's kind of this all-knowing narrator who's who's seen the story and he's right. telling it to the kids let me take you back to a time and it's our peddler yeah i mean he's he, he, i really felt like this is aladdin yeah <laughs> well but then he's in the story himself and uh, he's he knows quasimodo because he sees him at the feast of fools he's ultimately crowned you know the guy and then publicly humiliated this is his dream which really like pulls at your heartstrings because he's his whole life he's just been trying and trying and trying to get the courage to go out and today's the day Mm -hmm. i gotta do it and he does and then just the way that the people treat him is horrible and it really it starts off um yes they rip off the mask and people go (gasps) oh 
you know, and they're really shocked. And then slowly just someone throws a tomato and throw, someone throws something else. And then they go from maybe being his fan and they were his fans at the beginning when I guess when they thought it was a mask, but then they become horrified and then they actually change their demeanor entirely. The whole group of people. And these aren't the gypsies. These are the people, the, the Parisian people. Yeah. And, um, and then the gypsies, you know, they're just kind of taking part in this. And mostly we see Esmeralda and Clopin, but Clopin sees how people were treating him. And from my perspective, he wasn't the bad guy here. He didn't do anything wrong. And then later when they go down to the Court of Miracles, they it's almost as if they don't even recognize him. Yeah. You have to recognize the not? guy. <laughs> Come on. He's the guy. He's been your king, you know, of he was your king of fools a few days ago. Yeah, this and was they like just literally three days ago. <laughs> and they wrap him up and you know, try to basically murder him and execute him. And so I'm confused about why he doesn't have any more empathy towards. Is he just all about protecting the haven that he doesn't want anyone else to know? And it doesn't. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a friend of Esmeralda. I'm not even gonna let you talk. Well, uh, I mean, so he it, was it's, with Phoebus. So yeah. So it's a so, by guilty by association. association. But yeah, I just don't like that because I don't know what to expect with him because then there's no ownership of, wow, you treated us really poorly. And just at the very end, he's like, three cheers for Quasimodo. And he's just accepted back in. So I don't like that. He either should have been medieval, made all, he should have been good all around or just been not involved in those key scenes. Yeah. You know? And one thing that he, it was interesting to me because I was like, okay, I I have, I'm kind of confused at timing wise. Yes, you were the, the, you started the story. You're the narrator, you know, telling you all knowing. Mm -hmm, It was mm -hmm. very confusing to figure out like, why are you telling this story? (laughs) And he is a combination of two characters. He's got to make his money. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) He's, he's hoping that the kids will give him a little dime. And I'll tell you the story of Quasimodo. So I guess it's supposed to be like at the very end of this whole thing where he's weeks or something later. I mean, if people have never heard of Quasimodo, then it It just wasn't very clear. Yeah. Does it matter at that point? No, it doesn't. But what was interesting to me, he was a combination of two characters from the book. He was Mm -hmm. the combination of the narrator Mm -hmm. who was its own, who happens to be quote unquote married to Esmeralda for like four years. Yeah. It was weird. What? It was a weird little thing. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was a, the head of the gypsies. Yeah. And so they combined the two characters to make Clopin. Um, And I feel like, he was one of those that it's like, I don't know if I should trust you. And as a kid, I didn't know if you were trust. Like I'm cause he's one, he's all of his friends have, you know, skeleton PJs, which is, I thought were really cool, but <laughs> he's there. Like, I don't, I am unsure of who to trust in all of these situations right now. Yeah. Like I know I can trust Quasimodo and probably Esmeralda Phoebus, you know, is Halfway also, through. is also someone I can kind of trust, but like, you never know with him mm-hmm. and he could turn on you at any yeah, moment. Yeah. You know, the court of miracles, the reason why it is, is like all of these, and they talk about, they sing about this, how all the people who outside of this area are blind and deaf and, you know, come back home mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they're like normal people. That's just their, that's just their stick to be able to yeah. get money during yeah. the day. So yay. <laughs> um, yay for pulling the con. Right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of the things I was like, I'm not sure about you. Can we play a game? Yes. What is Frollo's deal? (laughs) So Frollo, like my big thing about Frollo is like, okay, did he really think that there was 
it's just so weird to me. Like, do you really think that there's anything romantic in your attempts to get Esmeralda to come to you? Like, I am going, I am going to hold you captive, put you in stocks, prison slash, you know, on the flames or on in the hangman's noose like mm-hmm. all of these things above just so that you can be my little love toy like is that what you're doing like I well don't he it. also puts her in a white dress which right. symbolizes purity right which i don't know if that's just another way that he's trying to justify it in his mind that she is pure and if i do this then she will be pure but the whole thing like she blames he blames her for his lust like, yes like it's always the woman's fault. Sorry, <laughs> no ownership of the woman's actions. Always, the fact that she's beautiful is her fault that I have these lustful thoughts. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and so he's. I just man, they they do a good job of really vilifying him to the to the worst degree. Yeah, he at the very beginning he's a bad guy, and at the end he's a bad guy. There's really no. The only thing that changes is that we, well, no, uh, from the very beginning, he doesn't like the gypsies. In the end, he doesn't like the gypsies. And mm-hmm. the only thing that changes is then he suddenly has lust for one of them, which then really adds fuel to the hellfire and ultimately his, his demise. Which can we just talk about how does the city catch on? Like, sure. Because he's setting no, the whole thing on fire trying to find her. No, I know. But then then they pour these like napalm down yeah, from and what <laughs> where did that come from it's weird <laughs> and then like the whole street the whole city like just there apparently there's enough napalm at the top to just envelop the city yeah entirely which by the way 30 minutes later i don't know once it's gone it's gone everything totally is clean bright up. and sunny and happy and yeah <laughs> there we go this. <laughs> <laughs> it's france they're used to this kind of thing <laughs> very strange um yeah it's he does have one redeeming value he's very pro horses he does not want anybody to hit his horse when they're shooting arrows at phoebus don't hit my horse Ah, achilles sit yes achilles is awesome but also his horse is is the dark black one Uh. i was like you're a nice horse hell horse hell horse (laughs) I was always growing up, I, I, even today, like when I watch war movies or anything like that, I'm always like really feeling bad for the horses because it's like they're just following orders. <laughs> they have no part in this and yet you're killing them. <laughs> oh, it's always it's just so sad. Innocent bystanders. I know. Standers. They are, yeah. yeah. But he falls to his death and... Uh, yeah, another Disney villain to fall to the death. Because you can't have Quasimodo actually throw him over. Cause that's murder. That's murder. Justified murder, in my opinion. Well, Is yeah. it ever? Nah. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's not go Just there. Just cut that. Just cut that. <laughs> so he's... Because I, he's such a pure character, you don't want Quasimodo to have that blood on his hands. Right. And he almost does, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. But in the book and in the play, he actually does throw him over. Yeah. And so... it He was driven you. to that madness to kill him. Yeah. You know, the to bite the hand that fed him. Yeah. Very poorly, though. Gave him some grapes and some wine. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so are there any high-level themes that we did not talk about? There's there's the theme of lust and temptation and how you are able to... So there's this theme of lust and temptation and how one is able to deal with that. We see with Rolo, he deals with it very poorly where it ends up affecting so many other people other than himself, ultimately leading does. to his demise. Both, I imagine physically 
and spiritually. Yeah. You know, he did not get redeemed at the end of this film. Everything that he did to raise Quasimodo in order to, you know, be retribution for the sin, it was made 10 times worse. And he never saw that. He saw everything he was doing as justification to purify. That's another theme is that this theme of purity, what does it mean? What is purity? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of discussion about outcasts, and I what makes a monster and what makes a man yeah outcasts not just outcasts culturally or even politically but also Mm one-on-one I guess you could he is even though he is in his own home he is still an outcast Mm -hmm. Frollo treats him like an outcast and shows him that he's an outcast yeah he is accepted by those who really truly come to understand him which he doesn't have very many opportunities but Esmeralda Phoebus but then the people as a whole still don't accept him at the end because of his looks and outward appearance until the child comes up to him. And I really loved that where children really are pure and innocent and they can see through, you know, some things, you know, skin color or deformations, different things like that, just to see who, who you are. And I love that she just comes up to him. She hugs him. And that's really all the people need if to, to just like, swipe this cloud that's over their yeah. eyes that was really preventing them from seeing him from who, who he was and being very prejudiced against him they kind of swept it clean and hopefully everything's good i mean you want it to be i mean in yeah. reality is that really what's going to happen mm, let's hope so let's hope we we can that's what the on. sequel is for <laughs> yeah, which chelsea right. <laughs> we oh, have no. an epic review of this on the youtube channel so if you don't know the release of this is a one of those great two movie collections yes where hunchback of notre dame is paired with the hunchback of notre dame 2 which is probably one of the worst animated films of all time in my book it is so bad it makes no sense why is one of the bells have jewels on the inside (laughs) that makes no sense it's just gonna crush and destroy them and there's gonna be like falling jewels that are all messed up like what it's made of all gold which is not a great metal for banging and anyways you have to check out our review we'll include it in the show notes but unfortunately disney really doesn't care too much about this film because i'll include my uh written review as well but the bonus features there are no new bonus features that they put out for the blu-ray it's not it's not a part of any special collection, no, no diamond or platinum or Disney signature collection. It was one of the first to go to Netflix. Yeah, they don't really care about it, but it does have the classic bonus features, which are three. One of them being a director's commentary, you know, making of whatnot. Uh, the director's commentary, quite good. Check it out. Yeah. I did not get to rewatch it this time, but I know that it's there as part of my classic feature set. Nice. As far as accolades and like critical response, it was nominated for so many different awards for various reasons in writing, production, storyboarding, and music. music awards. Also uh, nominated for a Golden Raspbi, also known as a Raspbi Award. Or is it Razzie? Oh, yes. Uh, Razzie. Worst written film grossing over $100 million. It was nominated. It did not win. I'm like, worst written? I do not look at this film and think it's poorly written, but no. that's cool. Everyone has their own opinion, can nominate whatever you want. It got lots of acclaim in a lot of ways, a lot of it being music wise and you know, animation. But as far as Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a like 73%. So it's not fresh, but it's slightly rotting. Slightly. Barely, barely, barely. Rotting. Yeah, but it's actually interesting. The audience score is lower than the critical score. Well, that's because the critics know what's up. <laughs> so 
those are that's basically how that goes brief touching on the musical if you have opportunity i would highly recommend listening to the soundtrack you can find it on itunes and spotify and all the places where great soundtracks are found um i was you know because it didn't go to broadway Mm -hmm. so not very many people saw it it was at um the paper house play mill for a while and then i think some of the reasons why it didn't go you know, it was, I did like some of the changes and I, I saw, like I mentioned before, A Guy Like You was was taken out and instead added the song called Made of Stone where the saints, they're saints instead of gargoyles that are talking to him. So he's trying to get, he gets his knowledge mm-hmm. from these mm-hmm. saints that are talking. And then the, the another amazing song is Top of the World. I love that one. The whole score is just entrancing. Like I listen to it. It's so moving and just powerful. Love it. Um, I think the reason it didn't go to Broadway is probably the same reason why it didn't do very well as a movie. And that was, in my opinion, I don't know if this is totally true, but there's one line where it says, and we wish we could leave you with a moral, like a trinket you hold in your palm. It leaves you questioning more than receiving answers. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it didn't go in a way viral. Mm -hmm. Like so many, it... A lot of people don't like things that make them think, (laughs) but it also doesn't have, there's not a lot of goodness Mm -hmm. in it. Like even Quasimodo, he is, he throws Frollo from the bell tower and like all these, nobody has pure motives. And so I think that's very Western. Yeah. And so I think that's, I I don't know. It could have just been a crappy musical. It could have been. People didn't like. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I didn't see it. So I don't know. Everything that is good online is about the music and that is true you can just take an hour and 20 minutes and just listen to the full score and be moved and that's something i recommend so let's rate it i actually really like this film like i was talking about of different things and nitpicks you know those are just things that i would have liked them to do to improve it and to make it better is it a perfect film absolutely not there's really not too many characters in this film I feel like I do get to know most of them. Esmeralda is the stronger character. Uh, I think Frollo is a good character. His motives are the same throughout. It's not like he starts good and then slowly goes on this path. He's always bad. And that's fine for me. Yeah. Because I think sometimes, especially in Disney, it's very black and white. You have have these characters that are just purely evil. And and that was fine. Uh, I do think we see. Phoebus, he's not the best. And Quasimodo, I I like him. I like what he represents. I feel bad for him really, really much at the very beginning. And um, he really takes a sidestep in the second half of the film because it becomes more of the Esmeralda show once she starts showing up and kind of takes over. Uh, The pacing of the film is really good. I feel that it moves very quickly from scene to scene to scene. However, the tone is shifting all the time. And I wish they just would have taken it like I, that one key scene I mentioned. You go from like burning a house on fire to a guy like you. Right. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> what about your crush? She'll love you. <laughs> and I don't love it. it. It's very takes me out of the moment for that. And I liked that, you know, he didn't end up with the girl at the end because sometimes yeah. just because you weird. want something doesn't mean you get it. It would have been right? weird. <laughs> and it would have definitely gone away from the book even more. But you know, so I do kind of like that it painted this picture that sometimes the hot guy gets with the hot girl and that's just life. And you have to deal with you and make it work. And I do think Quasimodo's in 
you know, on the path to a good place at the end of the film. The music is absolutely amazing and breathtaking. As listening to it, I just got chills and... Yeah, so I like this movie a lot. I'm debating and teetering between three and a half and four stars. I really do like this movie whenever I watch it. I'm very entertained. So for that reason, I'm going to give it four stars. I think if they would have removed some of the juvenile elements and had a little bit more guts to really make it not adult, but just maybe like PG-13 and add a little bit more of these PG. If they would have just added some of these more serious themes, took itself a little bit more seriously and could have just trusted in itself and what they had, could have been a really good movie. It is a good movie, but could have been even better. Yeah. I give it a solid four stars just on the artistry and the music and just the pacing itself. It's a very well-made film. And I I grew up enjoying it. I don't hate the juvenile parts of it um, because I remember liking them as a child. Those were my favorite parts. But as an adult, I have come to appreciate this on such a higher level that that in of itself makes me love this movie even more. And so I give it a solid four stars and it is one of my favorites. If I'm going to be looking at a movie to watch and you give me a selection and this is in it, there's a high probability that I'll choose this to watch. So for those reasons, solid four. All right. And as promised, we have received a few voicemails. And so here are our favorites. Hello, Rotoscopers. My name is Andres, and I am sending you guys my first voice message. This voice message goes to the movie The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I love and adore this movie so much. I remember when I went to theaters to go see this movie. I love this movie. This movie is amazing. First things first, I prefer this movie over Hercules. Not to say that I dislike Hercules. I like Hercules, but I just I love this movie so much. I know those two movies are compared so many times, or which one do you prefer? Now, I love the character of Quasimodo. I believe Tom Hulsey did an amazing job as the uh, as you know the voice for Quasimodo. I also like Jason Alexander as Hugo, and even Kevin Klein as uh, Phoebus was was pretty cool too. Now, the reason why I love this movie so much is because I can relate to the character of Quasimodo. I'm not saying that I look like Quasimodo, but just the, some of the things that he goes through in, in the in the film, I could relate to him. One particular situation that he goes through, especially, is when um, you know he loves Esmeralda and uh, he sees Esmeralda kissing Phoebus, and that breaks his heart. And I've been in that situation before, you know, I've been in situations where, you know, I like this girl and this girl is dating some other guy and, or, you know, something like that happens or it just, you know, it, it breaks your heart and watching Quasimodo go through that. It's like, dude, I know how you feel, you know, <laughs> I, I love some of the music. Uh, some of the music is pretty cool. I enjoyed, uh, of course, a guy like you, um, even Quasimodo's uh, main song out there. But uh, it's a very, very dark movie as well. I, I've noticed that even uh, saying it, it's a very dark. It has its dark moments. It also has its lights moments too. So overall, I'll give this film four and a half stars out of five. Uh, that's not bad. I love this movie so much. That's uh, just not. It's not my favorite favorite. You know, it's like not like my number one, but. It's it has to be at least in my top ten favorite uh, Disney animation film, and of course I love hand drawn animation, and I miss it. I miss it so much. I feel like they should at least bring back 
you know, once in a blue moon, make a make a hand drawn animation movie because I miss it. So thank you guys, and I, I hope I hope this voicemail goes up on the uh, podcast. Thank you. Hello, Rotoscopers. This is Alex calling in to give my review of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. In my opinion, this is a good movie, but not among Disney's best. However, one interesting fact about this film is that it inspired a musical. I recently listened to the cast recording, and it is very good. The arrangement of songs is better than in the film, in my opinion. And I think that the new songs are just as good as the originals. In addition, there were several alterations from the film's plot, if the soundtrack is any indication, and I think that these changes strengthen the film's story. Overall, I give the film three and a half stars out of five, and I recommend the soundtrack for the musical. Bye. Safe behind these windows and these parapets of stone, gazing at the people down below me. Hey, Rotoscopers, it's Dylan Mentis, and I have not sent in a voicemail in a minute, but I heard you guys were doing 1996's Hunchback of Notre Dame Dame. Dame, Dame, Dame. I don't know. But um, I just love that you guys are doing this. I could not finish past the first scene when I was little because the first scene is just so scary and dark and loud so I finally saw the whole thing as a teenager and I'm in love with all of this goodness where to even start I mean the music I love the music some of my favorite in Disney it's just so big and grand and um I just love so many characters like Quasi when they're throwing vegetables at him I just want to protect him and defend him I love um the goat, the goat has this one scene where he makes this sound like, and I love that. Um, I love Achilles because that, I'm pretty sure they just named him Achilles for that one joke, which is great. And I want to go down and say that Frollo is the worst Disney villain ever. I mean, this is not a dragon. This is not a witch. This is a real dude that existed. This is a dude that still exists today somewhere. And that's just, that's scary. Yeah. Um, love that you guys did this one. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, this is Stephanie. Um, I'm so excited that you guys are reviewing Hunchback of Notre Dame. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I really like this movie a lot. Um, even when I was younger, Esmeralda was my girl. Um, I dressed up as her for Halloween multiple times. Um, so I really, really appreciated this movie even as a kid. Um, when I went back and watched this movie, like when I was older, I was really surprised about the adult themes. Um, they definitely weren't something that I noticed as a kid. So I was either very naive um, or they were subtle enough that I did not notice them as a child. I'm not really sure. I'm sure you guys will go into that. But I just thought that animation was so beautiful um the songs were so awesome i had a disney like sing-along tape and i remember out there being one of the songs on there and i just i remember that scene and i just I, that song is like top 10 like disney playlist for sure for me it's such a good song and it's really interesting because i feel like the animation did a very good job of making notre dame the building stand out 
Um, and it's really like that in real life. I was able, lucky enough to see Notre Dame in real life, and it's amazing how, like, much that building stands out from all the rest. Obviously, the modern buildings are there now, weren't there in the movie. <laughs> um, but it's really cool to see, like, even with, you know, the difference in architecture, it still really stands out as this, like, beautiful, like, beacon, and it's gorgeous. Um, but I love this movie oh so much. I wish it got more credit, you know, in the parks, in, like, the Disney pantheon, um, because I think it's a really, like, artfully deep, crafted movie, and I hope other appreciate people appreciate it as much as I do. <laughs> um, but thank you guys so much for always putting together such a great show. It's always a pleasure to listen to, um, and thank you so much. So here is a riddle to guess if you can sing the bells of Notre Dame. What makes a monster and what makes a man? Whatever that which you can feel and bewitch you, the rich and the ritual dance of the bells of the All right, guys, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts Podcast. You can find the links, show notes, all of those things that we've been referencing throughout rotoscopers.com slash 154. Be sure to leave a comment and let us your re- give us your little review and thoughts. We will be there checking it out and responding. Also, our next episode <laughs> is going to be Thumbelina. <laughs> so send in your voicemails for that at 406-646-6575 or you can just record it on your computer or your phone rotoscopers.com slash voicemails and thank you to everyone who has been a patron who shops using our Amazon links rotoscopers.com slash Amazon or if you're in Canada rotoscopers.com slash Amazon CA please even if it's just like a $1 thing just buy something <laughs> <laughs> otherwise they'll shut our Amazon CA account down Whoa. and if you would like to listen to the 40-hour masterpiece and see what Victor Hugo really wanted to tell you, you can go to rosecovers.com slash audible and check out the audiobook for free right there. And with that, Chelsea, that is all I have. Okay, guys. Until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 154. Skeleton PJs. Oh, that's not what the movie's called. That'd be a sweet movie. (laughs) No face as hideous as my face was ever meant for heaven's eyes. Anyone looking at the reflection of the bells would be hideous and ugly. So the poor guy, it's just, it's multiplied. (laughs) 